I want to tell you a story. There was a man who was coming on his way to uh, ch- uh, home from church. He had just finished the church service, and he was on his way home. And um, he had to take I-20 in order to go home, and he missed the exit. He was speeding a little too quickly, and he got injured. His truck is totaled, and he is almost to the point of death. Now, by chance, there was a, um, a man who went to the same church as him, the same Baptist church that went with him. He was driving behind him, and he recognized the injured Christian man. He recognized uh, his truck, and he passed by. Kept there was a second person who, kept, uh, who followed them who was a Methodist. And he too, he saw the injured man, he saw the injured Christian, he saw the toll truck, and he too passed by and did nothing. And then there was a third person. This third person is a Muslim. The Muslim um, was on his way to lunch after work. And he saw the Christian man injured, and he saw the total car, and he had compassion. He got out of his car, he put him, he got he banded up his wounds and he put him into the car. And, and he's on the way to the hospital right by, and he calls the tow dealership and says, hey, I need you to tow this car for me. I will pay the bill. Please take care of it. And as that's happening, he gets him to the hospital. He takes him to the hospital, and, and he says, whatever you need to do to heal this man, put it on my bill. I'll pay out of pocket if he needs medicine, if he needs antibiotics, if he needs surgery, I will pay for it. If he needs to stay an extra two or three weeks, I will get a loan to pay it off, put it on my bill. Out of the three people, the, the, the Baptist, the Methodist, and the Muslim, who proved to be their, a neighbor to that Christian injured man? You and I are called to love on those whom we least expect that we should love on. That's a similar principle that we will go over in the text of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, if you want to start making your way there. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. We are in the month of February where we are going over what it means to love as a reminder that um, the fundamentals of our faith is to love God, it is to love others. And last week we mentioned that we cannot do that if it weren't for God loving us first and how we demonstrated that through the cross and through the work of his resurrection. And now today we will be reminded of what it means to truly love our neighbor. Let's begin reading in verses 25 through 37 of Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, and it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among some robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and so likewise a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. Verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went, to, he went to him, bounded up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He set him on his animal and brought him to the inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. My first point this morning is that you and I are saved by grace through faith and are to respond in love. If you and I, if we have been justified by God, we have eternal life. And that expression, that is expressed, that we have life, we express that in love. How we love others and how we love God. And this was a confirmation of what Jesus was saying earlier in the text. That anyone who loves God, of course, is going to love everyone else, their neighbor. Why? Because Christ loved them first. And Jesus, in the first part of the text, he's not saying... There's a condition to gain eternal life, and you need to love first, and then you'll get it. That's not what Jesus is saying. You and I are saved by grace, and once we have been, we respond in love. Once we have the love of Christ given to us, that's how we love back. We love him back, and that's how we love others as well, and you and I are commanded to do so. Because it's one thing to have life, and it's one thing to express the life that you and I are given. Again, in the text, Jesus is not saying that love is a condition. It is rather an expression of what is taking place. It's kind of like if you were to go to Six Flags, and you were to go to on the roller coaster, and you know you're going to have fun because that's why you get in the roller coaster. You're in the roller coaster. You're about to have some fun. But the, the captain or the worker or whoever says, put your hands in the air, and you will have fun. You're going to have fun no matter what, okay? You don't have to put your hands in the air, but it is an expression of the joy that you are having. It is an expression of the fun you are experiencing. Now, love, in our context, is a command, and it is an expression of what has been taking place, and that is eternal life. Let's again read verses 25 through 28. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. We, again, are saved by grace through faith. And now, within the term neighbor, Overall, as a biblical concept, as a biblical principle, neighbor applies to everyone, okay? Our, our church, our, our enemies, those of uh, the same countrymen, it applies to everyone. But what does it mean in this context? What is Jesus trying to say the word neighbor means in this context? And you and I kind of get that similar, you see that similar question that the lawyer asked within verse 29 as it reads again. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The lawyer asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? Now, at first, the question seems innocent. It seems like he's trying to gain knowledge. It seems like he's trying to do a good job, and he wants to know who's my neighbor, and I'll love on them. Let me do that. But it's actually not the case, because we see he's trying to justify himself. In this time, in this culture, Jews only associated fellow Jews as their neighbor. And that is the assumption of what uh, the lawyer thinks that Jesus is going to say. The lawyer is assuming that Jesus is going to say, love your fellow Jews. Well, if that's the case, then he's good to go. He's been loving his fellow Jews, and he doesn't have to love anyone else, and he thinks he's good to go. And that's why the text says he's trying 
to justify himself. If, and it's seen, that's an easy thing to, to do for the lawyer because those whom we love and those whom it's easy to love on, it's easy. And that's what Luke is trying for us to understand within the text because Luke shows us his motives, that he's asking the wrong question. If he truly had love, if he truly had compassion, he wouldn't have asked, who is my neighbor? He would have asked, how can I be a loving neighbor? If he truly had that love, if he truly had that compassion, he would have asked, what can I do for whoever and tell me? Instead, he asked, well, who is it? Because if, it's, if, if, it, if you're going to say it's this person, this person, this person, and all you've mentioned is this person, then I'm good to go. That's the motive that the lawyer has, and that's why we see that he's trying to justify himself. He doesn't want to go above and beyond. And this brings me to my second point, that we can't justify our actions when we have guilty motives. We can't justify our actions when you and I have a guilty motive. The lawyer had a motive to do the bare minimum. The lawyer had a motive to do the least amount as possible and still make the cut. It's kind of like the phrase college students we like to say is C's get degrees, right? We just As long as we make the cut, we're good to go. We don't need to over, overwork and learn as long as we make the cut. That's the same thing that this uh, lawyer is doing. It's also, it can also be like parents, if you ask your children, go clean your room. Or maybe when you, as a, when your parent asked you to go clean your room, what would you do? You'd clean it, but we would just put the toys under our bed. We put the, the the clothes in the closet and shut the door. We'd put the blanket over the over the bed. We wouldn't make it neat, kind of thing. Why? Because it's easy. It's easy as long as it's gotten the job done, right? But care and compassion would go beyond that because that's the implied command is to go above and beyond that. In a similar way, for this lawyer, it would take care and compassion to love more than just his fellow brethren, his fellow Jews. And for you and I today, it would take care and compassion as a church to love more than just our fellow church members, but to love our community, those who do not have the love of God, to love on them as well. We are to demonstrate that by seeing a need from someone and to provide that need. If there is a, as a church, if there is someone within the church, if there's someone within the community, if there's someone that across that comes across in our lives and we see they have a need, we are to do something about it. We are not to just look away because if you and I were to look away, would we not be any better than the world? If you and I see a need from someone, from whoever, and we just look away or assume that someone else is going to take care of it, are we no better than the world? It seems that we would be no better than this uh, Pharisee, this priest and Levite, according to Jesus' parable. Let's read again verses 30 and 32. Verse 30 says, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, he passed on the other side. Now, the it's, it's, it's obvious and that everyone would know that the Pharisee, this priest, this Levite would know the law of love to love their neighbor. And I want to read you some of those laws within the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.34 
You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. Deuteronomy 10, 19. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Now, this is not a text saying that aliens are confirmed in the Bible. Okay. Another translation of that is stranger. Another translation as sojourner. Why? Because they were like that in Egypt. They were to do what God did to them first. And that's the point that Jesus wants to convey to this lawyer before he proves what his term of neighbor means in this context. And this gets to my, uh, third, uh, my third point, that our hearts are far away from God when we look away from the needs of others. We just saw that the priests and the Levite, they clearly saw this man, they saw him have a need, this injured man, and they looked away. That was their first reaction. It was nothing else. There was no love. It was just pure reaction to look the other way. And you and I can apply from that, where we have to ask ourselves and examine ourselves. What is our first reaction when we see a need? What is our first reaction when we, need, when we see someone have a need or has a problem? How do we solve it? How do we, what's our first reaction? Do we provide that need? Are we going to be the one to be a blessing? Or do we just assume that someone else is going to be a blessing because we're going to pray for them? If you and I want to make an impact, we need to provide that need. And maybe there's an excuse saying, well, I, I see the need, but I can't provide for that need. Okay. Do you help someone else with that need solve it? Do you help try to solve that need of that person with whatever it may be? Because the excuse for the, this, this priest and Levite, maybe they looked away because they thought he was truly dead. And in the Old Testament, you could not touch a corpse in the Old Testament because you would be considered unclean. Now, maybe that's the excuse. The problem is two things. One, the text doesn't say that. That's an assumption. And two, that Jesus clearly says in verse 30, in the very end, that after the robbers stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So they know he's alive. We can't, there's no assumptions to be made. So if there's an excuse from the priest and Levite, whatever it may be, there's no excuse to not love our neighbor. And maybe another possible reason is that the Pharisee and Levi uh, ignored the, the person because they were too religious. They were too above the man who was injured. And they used religion as a sense of, I'm more holier than this situation. Maybe that's the case. We don't know. But we still can apply from that. We still can. Because how do we treat those who don't know Christ? Do we use our relationship and knowledge of God to put them down? Or do we use it as an opportunity to invite them? Do we use that as an opportunity to love on them and to show love to them? It's kind of like, not too long ago, I went to the gym. That was about four years ago. Anyway, so, and um, if I were to go to the gym now, I probably would get some looks. Some of them would probably look down at me, and some of them would probably, I don't know, they may help me. This situation may not even happen, but who, but who knows? Maybe I'll get some looks where they'll look down on me because of their muscles, because of their knowledge of how to lift weights. 
and they'll look down on me for that. Or maybe they'll ignore me, or they'll use that knowledge of how they gain muscle. They'll use that knowledge so that I can grow as well. In a similar way, you and I need to do the same thing with our knowledge of God. Do we know the power of God to show that we can evangelize? Or do we know the power of God that we've been saved and that person isn't and, they, and we're too good for them? That's not the mindset you and I need to have. The mindset you and I need to have is that they need God at just as much as we do. And that's why we love. That's why we demonstrate our love. We are no better than world. God came to save everyone. We need to use our relationship with God as an opportunity to help someone in need, to solve that need. Because the bigger our relationship with Christ, the easier it is to show compassion. And this gets to my fourth point, that the fruit of love will be produced by the extent of your compassion. If you and I want to leave a legacy, if you and I want to make an impact to, to the church or for our family or for the world to know Christ, how far, how willing are we going to take it? You and I see that demonstration through the Samaritan, as we see in verses 33 and 35. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, he went to him, bounded up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you will spend, I will repay you when I come back. The, the Samaritan's love and compassion for this man it has no bounds. I mean, look at how much he sacrificed. He bounded up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him, which was very expensive. He put him on his own animal. Maybe it was a donkey. And he just was traveling. And when you traveled, you would use your animal because you were tired. Well, now he's going to be tired, especially if he wasn't riding on his animal. So he puts the injured man on his animal. And then he goes to the innkeeper and he gives him two denarii. That's two full days of wages. That is two eight to fives just for someone else to get that. And for us to kind of, uh, kind of relate to this even more, back then you lived paycheck to paycheck. And you were paid by the day. So for us, in our day, if we, if we live by paycheck to paycheck and we get those twice a month, imagine having a full month of work just to give it to someone else. That's love and compassion. That is the extent that this, in a similar way, that this Samaritan showed love for this injured man. And also, he actually paid more. Because in the very ending of verse uh, 35, it says, I will repay you when I come back. Repay him what? What more that he needed to give. So he pays, in our day, he pays more than a month of eight to fives so that he could see the compassion. The size of the Samaritan's compassion is amazing. And we see that the man's uh, compassion through his sacrificial act of love the fruit of our love will be produced by the extent of our compassion. Now, notice in the text that Jesus, he doesn't say that the Samaritans were on the injured man, that the injured man was a Jew. This would kind of be a big deal if it was the case. We don't know if the injured man was a Jew or not. We can maybe assume because he's coming down from Jerusalem. When Jericho was here and Jerusalem was on a higher level, and when you go to Jerusalem, probably worship, that's why you would come down. And so, maybe he was a Jew because he was coming down. 
And this is kind of, this could be important because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Why is that? Why did they not get along? Samaritans practice beautiful Judaism. What's, what's the issue? It's where they worshipped. Jews, they, they worship in the, in the holiest nation. It's the holiest place, which is Jerusalem. Samaritans, they thought we needed to worship on Mount Gerizim. Where is that at? It's a great question. That is around 20 to 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And why did they want to worship there? Because that was where Abraham built an altar. That was where Jacob built an altar. It was a monumental moment that the Samaritans thought they needed to worship on this mountain, which is why they thought it was disrespectful if you didn't worship on the mountain, and the Jews found it disrespectful if you don't worship in Jerusalem. You kind of get a hint of that within the Gospel of John, chapter 4, when Jesus goes to the woman at the well. What does she say? She says to Jesus, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. You say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. We now worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And at that point, Jesus says that it's a matter at this point as long as you worship in spirit and truth. So this is where, that's where the conflict came between the um, uh, the Samaritans and, and the Jews. That's, it was just about the matter of worship. Now, back to the text in the parable, let's now pretend that the injured man is a Jew. How much compassion and love does that show? That he saw an enemy in need. He saw someone that he really did not get along with, and he showed compassion. He went above and beyond. Now, what if the injured man is not a Jew? It doesn't matter. Because the principle is that you love those whom you least expect. Why? Because the person receiving this parable is a Jew. The person that's hearing this story from Jesus saying that the Samaritan's the hero of the story, there's no possible way. There's, there's, there's no way. Do you hear the story you're saying, Jesus? There's no way. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to get to this Samaritan's heart to say that to love your neighbors, to love those whom you least expect. The Jewish lawyer could not even fathom that the Samaritan did, does the right thing. And that Jesus is trying to get to his audience's heart, the, the lawyer's heart. This brings me to my final point, that compassionate love overcomes bitter desires. Verse 30, let's read in verse 36 and 37. Jesus asked the lawyer a question, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And here's the climax of the passage, verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. The lawyer cannot even say the word Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus is trying to get to this man to say that the one you hate is your neighbor. The one whom you least want to love on is your neighbor. The one who you have the hardest time, who's most difficult in our lives, that is our neighbor. And we are to go above and beyond that. The one whom we do we have the hardest time loving is our neighbor. And Jesus calls us to show compassion on those who we least want to show compassion to. You and I are not going to say that with our mouths. 
You're not, you and I are not going to say, oh, I have a hard time loving that person. We're not going to say that, but we're going to say that through our actions. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at. Let your actions say love. Love, compassionate love, overcomes bitter desires. This brings me to the question, who do you and I have a hard time loving? For the Jew, in this context, it was the Samaritan. For some of us, it could be a coworker that pushes us to the limits, who, who constantly tries to test us, whether good or whether bad, and is just, a, who's just bothersome. That's the person Jesus says we need to love. For some of us, it could be a family member. Family member who was abusive in our words, phys uh, physically, whatever. Maybe that's the person that we need to love on the most. For some of us, this may step on some toes, is someone who's anti-American. Someone who has a hard time loving those who disrespect veterans. That's our neighbor. That's the person we're called to love on. That's the, whoever that person is in our lives who we have the hardest time loving, that is the person that we are called to love on. You and I are not so easy to love on from God. Well, forgive me. Let me say this. God easily loves us, but sometimes we make it difficult, right, because of our sin. That's my point. Forgive me. Whatever the reason you and I Whatever the excuse is that we don't love, we need to get rid of that. We shouldn't have an excuse to have any bitterness in our hearts. It's compassionate love overcomes bitter desires. Some of us may, may kind of be encouraged by this. I once saw a video of, on Facebook. It was on a, about a Venus flytrap. Y'all know what those things are. It's a weird-looking plant, you know. It has little spikes on it. And when it has a fly, it like, traps it for about an hour. I saw a little kid. He's trying to be funny. He gets a chili pepper, and he goes up to the Venus flytrap, puts that little chili pepper in the Venus flytrap, and traps it. And then, this is going to blow your mind, around 30 minutes to an hour, the Venus flytrap wilted and died. That, uh, that is crazy. Now, here's the thing. The Venus flytrap, it actually wilted and died by holding on to something it could have just let go. What is that one thing that causes us to wilt before we let go? How long do our hearts have to wilt before we let go of the one who hurt us, or that hurt, or that grudge? Jesus let go of his life for you and for me so that we could experience his love. Whatever that obstacle is in our lives, whatever that thing is, or if, it's, if it is that person of what they did, is that stopping us from loving them? If that's the case, then according to Jesus' parable, that's our neighbor, and that's the one who we need to love on. I challenge us all to identify that person, to identify the group of people, whoever it is, who we have the hardest time loving in our hearts, the one who we don't want to, or, who, or maybe recoil when we think about it, and we love on them. And we show compassion to them. Because just a reminder, the goal is not to get something from them. When we love on someone, when we show compassion to someone, the goal is not to get something from them. The purpose is to represent Christ.
That's the point. You and I are called to love God. We are called to love those whom we have a hard time loving. We, have a, we are called to love those whom we least expect that we should love on. We are called to love our neighbor. We're going to have a time of invitation, a time where we can confess to God. Maybe we have a hard time loving someone. Maybe confess to God that we have given um, God a hard time loving, him, uh, loving us in the sense that we've sinned. Of course, his love is powerful, and this is the time where we can experience that love and express that love through prayer. Whatever you and I need to do, we need to do that. Let's pray. Yahweh, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your love. We are so grateful that you demonstrated that by loving us first. We are so grateful. God, remind us, Holy Spirit, that if there is anyone in our lives who we have a hard time loving, who, we, who is just so difficult to love on, that you give us the strength to love and show compassion to them because you did that very same thing for us first. Let this time be to get closer to you, to love you, to say that we love you, and that we will try our best to love our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.